I wasn't the wife I wanted to be or the mom I wanted to be or the lawyer I wanted to be. And she said, well, what about the you you want to be? Working through that, I found that I was trying to be everything to everybody else and I had forgotten about rope. You're listening to the Redefining Wealth podcast with Patrice Washington. In today's episode, I sit down with attorney turned personal finance coach. She says it's time to face your numbers. Hey there, this is Patrice from patricewashington.com, where we chase purpose, not money. Welcome back to another episode of Redefining Wealth. If you are brand new here, here's what you need to know. This is a community that believes that wealth is so much more than what you hear out there in the mainstream media and everywhere else. It is more than money and material possessions. We believe in this community in the original 12th century definition, which was the condition of well-being. So each and every week, this podcast seeks to unpack what that looks like by exploring what we call the six pillars of wealth. These are the other areas of life that actually impact your finances, even when you're not thinking about it. And so if you want to learn more about it, head to patricewashington.com forward slash start here. That's patricewashington.com forward slash start here, and you will get the scoop on the six pillars. Now, before I get into today's episode, I have to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by my new book. My new book, Redefine Wealth for Yourself, is now available for pre-order. And so if you want to get the stories, principles, and practical exercises based on my six pillars of wealth, these will guide you step-by-step through the process to create a life of peace and purpose and prosperity. I am so excited to finally bring this podcast to physical form. (laughs) So to take what you have been hearing on the podcast over the last three years and put all of the real exercises and principles and tips in a book, that will support you as a guide as you go throughout your journey. So pick up a pre-order copy. Uh, The bonus is that you'll get a live masterclass with it, but it's only available to the first several hundred people. There is a limit. So if you want to get that bonus to the live masterclass, results, not resolutions, how to get a jumpstart in your mastery of the six pillars of wealth and hit every goal for the year of 2021 then head over to patricewashington.com forward slash pre-order. That's patricewashington.com forward slash pre-order. So one of the reasons I am so excited to continue this conversation basically about what's possible for the remainder of the year. Last week, we talked to my girl, Tanisha Jackson Warner. And as a part of her book, The Big Stretch, one of the things that she talks about is just making sure that your finances are in order so you can go after that dream that's on your heart. And so because I'm all about equipping you for this quarter, I'm always about finishing strong. But this fourth quarter, after the 2020 that we've had, is really important. It is imperative that we are strategic and intentional about how we finish this year because I want you to have the best year. (laughs) I want 2021 to be the best year after we've all gotten through this one, God willing, right? So I wanted to bring on Ro Thomas, who was a student in my program, Purpose to Platform. But beyond that, she's brilliant. And I love a lot of 
how she addresses personal finance, especially for high achieving folks. If you are the one in the family and you feel like you should know better, you should have it all together. And then you find yourself in a place where that is not the story at all. Rose's story will really resonate, but it'll also inspire and encourage you. So that's why she's here. So let's get to her bio and then dive in. Ro Thomas is an attorney, mindset strategist, and personal finance coach who believes that true wealth is having control of your time. She helps lawyers make intentional lifestyle and money decisions to regain control of their time, build wealth, and live the lives of freedom and choice they deserve. She's been featured in outlets such as Yahoo Finance, Refinery29, and Mike, and hosts the Wealthesque podcast, which explores how lawyers can achieve lifestyle freedom through mindset shifts and financial independence. Without further ado, here is Ro Thomas. Welcome to the Redefining Wealth podcast, Ro. Thank you so much for having me, Patrice. It's an honor to be here. It's an honor to have you. I am really excited. I've been looking forward to this all week because it's not often that I find other, I want to say brown girls, but I don't want to reduce you to a brown girl. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. I'm a brown girl. You know, but a fellow brown girl that is really in the space of helping people who are really high achievers. Mm-hmm. confront the fact that they that doesn't necessarily mean that they're great with finances because right. sometimes that's a hard pill to swallow. Yes. And I've been talking about this for years, Ro, this idea that when you are the one, perhaps mm-hmm. in your family that made it, quote mm-hmm. unquote, and you are the one that everyone else comes to, it is so hard to admit that financially you're confused, you feel lost, you've made some poor decisions, and you don't know who to go to, where to go to, to get support. And that's what I love so much about watching you come into Purpose to Platform, but then also really get clarity around who you serve. So I've already touched on it, but I would love to hear from you why you got into this space. You're already an attorney, but what made you get into this space of wanting to help people with personal finance in particular? Well, it all started for me back when I had my first child uh, almost four years ago now, which is crazy. But I had been doing all the things that you normally do as an attorney. I was, you know, building all the hours. I was, you know, doing all the different committees and all of that. And just running, 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 right? Like at my firm, the minimum requirement for the billable hours at that time was 1900. And I did like 2100 or something like that in my first year. And after I had my first child and I was headed back to maternity leave, I'm like, I can't keep up that schedule. That's crazy. Right. But I'm looking at our finances and we needed that salary. And you're like, I better keep up. Yes, (laughs) exactly. Like, so we sat down and looked at our finances and found that we were over $670,000 in debt and we had a negative $342,000 net worth. Okay. When I tell you gut punch. Yeah. Yeah. Wait a minute. Yeah. Okay. Because what you're getting into is the very reason people won't face the numbers. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So when I used to counsel people back in the day, they refused 
to tally it up. They refused to open the mail. They refused to look at the credit report. They refused, you know, up until the point of meeting me to do any of those things because they didn't want to face the numbers. Yes. So I'm not going to let you just skate over that. (laughs) I need to understand when you made that realization that you were 600, you and your husband, 670,000 plus in debt, student loans, and I'm sure amongst other things. Mm -hmm. What was your first reaction? Oh, I cried. I cried because I knew that we had debt, right? But we had kind of taken it, taken it in pieces. So, you know, I had a little over a hundred thousand. My husband had, you know, 300 and some change, almost 350, I think, thousand in student loans. We had a car loan. Car loan was only about 10,000. And then our mortgage of about 200 and some change. And so looking at each of those numbers individually, it didn't feel as overwhelming, but putting it all together, it was like, Oh my goodness. And so that's what we're trained to do though. I think in a lot of ways as a society, the way that people are trapped in a cycle of debt is because we learn to compartmentalize. Mm -hmm. And so when you work with people, you'll hear them say, I don't count my student loans. Well, you're like, well, man, that all the time. Yeah. That's still debt though. Or, Oh, I don't really count my mortgage because that's good debt. And Mm -hmm. we compartmentalize, which means that we never get the passion behind getting rid of it because mm-hmm. we think it's over there in the corner. But exactly. you guys came to this realization that this was all one big thing. Yes. And then also you said negative net worth. Can you break that down in case someone is confused about what that means or how you calculate it? Yes. So we looked at all of our different accounts, you know, our checking account, our savings account, our 401ks, we include the value of our house. I know some people you know, decide not to do that. Um, and then looked at all of our debt. So all of those student loans and the mortgage and the car loan. And you take your assets, all the money in your accounts and the value of your house and all of that, subtract out your debt, and that gives you your net worth. For us, because our debts were so large, because our debts were so large, the net worth was negative and it was negative multi six figures, which was crazy because like Patrice, I came out making six figures. And so, you know, I I was making six figures. I had never seen that kind of money before. Both my husband and I come from single parent households. And so like growing up, we didn't have a whole lot. And so you couldn't tell us we didn't make it, right? (laughs) Like we had made it, we were making six figures, doing all these things. And so you have this like false sense of security. You know, you feel like you're, you're okay, you're doing well because we've got the money coming in. And we had been doing everything that, you know, everyone teaches you to do with your money. We were paying off our credit card in full every month. We were saving, you know, 20%, all of that. We were maxing out our 401ks, but we weren't paying attention to the debt part. We just paid the minimum and kept it moving. And when you're coming out of, feels like law and medicine where you're getting these six-figure debts, the interest that you're accruing on those debts is astronomical. And so if you're not paying attention to it and you're just paying the minimum and you're like, oh, well, I'm going to invest over here, like we probably were accruing more on the interest side than we were gaining in the interest that we were getting for our 401ks. And so I think it's important to look at what's actually happening with your money and not just assume 
that because you're following all the rules that you're okay. Cause we were not. Yeah. And it's amazing how counterproductive it can be, Mm -hmm. right? You think, oh, I'm doing all the right things. And really you're working against yourself Mm -hmm. in the long run because you could have been chunking down at the debt sooner, quicker, faster, so that the contributions you were making to retirement and anything else were real. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. you know, like it really added to the net worth. This is fascinating. So you cried. What did your husband do? He was kind of, I don't know how to describe the the way that he felt like, you know, kind of down, kind of, I don't know, he wasn't happy about it, right? <laughs> but I don't think he took it as hard as I did. Like he wasn't as emotional um, as I was about it. It was just kind of like, that's how he is, right? It's kind of like, okay, <laughs> this is where we are. And so now let's take these steps to move forward. So your whole platform is really showcasing or teaching people the steps that you took to pay down a considerable amount of debt. So take us through that journey. So you realized that you guys were negative net worth, Mm -hmm. six figures, multiple six figures worth of debt. And what were some of the first steps you took to start to rein this in? So some of the first things that we did were going straight over to University of Google, right? And typing in how to pay off debt and things like that. And we came across, of course, Dave Ramsey, as I think most people who are trying to pay off debt do. But then we also stumbled upon the financial independence community, which is this community of people who are like retiring in their 30s and 40s and taking back their time by saving and investing upwards of 50% of their income. And so although we weren't interested in that retirement piece, we liked the thought that we could be independent of our jobs, right? Like that we didn't need this income. That had never occurred to us. I mean, like, like I said, we were back here with our $670,000 of debt and thinking that we were doing fine with our negative <laughs> net worth. Right? So like the fact that people were paying off loans early, that was mind blowing for me. Like you get a loan and you pay what they tell you to pay, you know? And right. Pay the minimum until it's gone. And then you save, you know, 20%. So saving 50% was really crazy. So just looking at uh, the stories of people in that community kind of helped us to formulate a plan. So one of the first things that we did was to decrease the amount that was going into our retirement. Because to your earlier point, like putting that extra money into retirement wasn't really moving our net worth. Like we could have been putting that money on our debt. So we took our retirement contributions down to something like 2 or 3% to still get the match. But then all of that extra money was going on our debt. At the time, my husband was a resident. So he also picked up extra shifts. He would do moonlighting and things like that so we could bring in some more money, which also helped us uh, to pay down debt. And then our budget was huge because we didn't really have a budget before. We were just paying because... We were doing well, like we could, you know, as long as we could pay all the bills, then we were good. But sitting down and doing a budget and looking at how we were spending our money and being really intentional about it and saying, like, okay, we're going to spend this much in housing and this much in food and this much in transportation and, you know, whatever all the different categories were. And then seeing how much we had left over at the end, that really helped us because everything that wasn't going to these expenses that we set for ourselves, we were putting on the debt. And so we do the zero-based budget, which is where every dollar that you bring in in the month gets allocated some kind of way in that month. And so 
every dollar that we had that wasn't going to one of our set expenses was going straight on our student loans. Wow. And so what type of progress did you make or have you made? To this point, we've paid off over $350,000, which- Come on, somebody. Yes, I am super excited about that. And we hit a positive net worth at the beginning of this year. So we are just continuing to build that. Wow. It's incredible though. And I, I love your bravery, right? Because when you, again, are the one, For many of us, the one in the family who looks like the success because you did go to college and you did, Mm -hmm. you know, go on to get the advanced degree and you do have the titles like my family would love you guys, a doctor and a lawyer. (laughs) Like they're still trying to figure out what do you do? What do you really do? (laughs) We're confused. Um, Right. Like for many of us who may be Caribbean, too, or or African, I hear this a lot. Like if you're not an engineer, attorney or, or a doctor, like what have you done with your life? Maybe an accountant <laughs> can squeeze in there. Right. And so we make an assumption that automatically because you can earn six figures that you're rich, that mm-hmm. you're wealthy. And here you guys are looking like the Huxtables. And having to deal with the realization of this negative net worth, were you ashamed to share with anyone? Um, I wasn't ashamed to share. Like we had told some of our family and I actually started a blog around that. When I first started the blog, it was anonymous and I was really bad at being anonymous. Like I I would send emails, I would sign my name, like, hi, regards, bro. I mean, uh, uh, actually... Um, but I, I shared our journey there and I would put these debt updates of how we were doing, how much we had paid off each month. And then I was also just sharing things that I was learning as we were trying to learn how to manage our money better because nobody teaches you this stuff, you know? So I just wanted to share that information with others in the hopes that our journey would inspire them. And I've since shut that blog down because I have I redirect it to this field that we're talking about now with specifically talking to lawyers and high income professionals who might be in similar situations. And I've expanded to talk not just about the money, but also mindset issues, things like setting boundaries and making yourself a priority and that kind of thing. Because I think that a lot of times we have this tendency, like you said, as high achievers, as you know, people who quote made it, like we've got this tendency to feel like we've got to do it all, right? And we've got to be all to everyone. And then you're like, oh man, they just worked me so hard or oh, I'm so burned out. But we have a choice there, right? So we could set boundaries and take back some of that control that we're looking for. And then having your money management on point just takes that over the edge because once you've got your money together, then that gives you options. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was actually what made me want us to do an interview is that we were talking the other day and you brought up boundaries Mm -hmm. and the fact that a lot of attorneys, we'll, we'll stick with attorneys for right now, but I'm sure this is across the board, uh, even though you make good money, you don't feel like you have a right to set strong boundaries because you have this debt that says, you better not lose this job. Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> so how have you been able for yourself to implement boundaries? You know, even though you're, like you said, just now this year, you're at that positive net worth. 
do you still feel like you have the freedom or the flexibility to set boundaries? Are you strong with the boundaries or is it something you're still working on? No, I am much better with my boundaries now than I used to be. And when I first started out at the firm, I had a mentor who was a partner at another firm in town who told me that it would be really a good idea. It would be a really good idea to set work hours and stick to them because in law, you really just have to bill a certain number of hours, but I don't have to be in the office at eight and leave the office at five. And so it's really easy for work to just spill over into everything. And so she told me, you know, set your work hours, stick to them. And I was really good about that, but I was not good about saying no, right? So if anybody had something that needed to be done, there's this new case, this assignment, whatever, my answer was always yes. And my plate, you know, would already be full and I'm taking on more things. And so I felt like I was drowning and I really needed to kind of take a step back. It didn't come for me. It didn't all come full circle for me until I had my second child last year. And I felt like I was failing at everything. And I remember crying in a friend's office at work about how like I just wasn't doing work or life up to my standards. And I remember talking to my husband about it and he suggested that I see a therapist to work through those feelings. So I remember the very first session with the therapist and I was telling her about how I wasn't the wife I wanted to be or the mom I wanted to be or the lawyer I wanted to be. And she said, well, what about the you you want to be? And I was like, "What, what do you mean? The, the me I want to be, you know? And so as we're working through that, I found that I was trying to be everything to everybody else. And I had forgotten about rope. Mm. And so that's where the strengthening my boundaries really came in because like I had boundaries to an extent, you know, to some extent, but I was really, really bad about making myself a priority and saying no, when I really couldn't do things and, you know, all of that. So I have been working on my boundaries more lately, but I am so much better now than I was back in the day. Like my no game is strong. (laughs) (laughs) That no game is strong. Yes. I just wanted to make sure that I threw this statistic out there um, because we know that I think it's still 76% of households live paycheck to paycheck Mm -hmm. is the statistic that has been quoted for years now, actually. Um, but on your Instagram page at I am Ro Thomas, R-H-O Thomas, uh, you shared this meme that said 25% of households bringing in $150,000 or more mm-hmm. are living paycheck to paycheck. Yes. And I just don't think that people who may even be making five figures understand that it's not all of a sudden crossing this six-figure mark that you become some mystical, magical, like unicorn that can all of a sudden manage your money better. Yes, exactly. Literally a skill set that you want to get down no matter where you're starting so that you can exercise discipline, right? Just get the discipline um, under your belt. And so for people who are thinking, bro, I don't want to hear this. You're talking to people that make six figures, girl, I'm trying to do... I'm just I'm just trying to make it through the end of this year with no problems. What are the universal lessons that no matter what income level you're at, right, you must do? What are the things that for you are like 
you must do this if you want to, as you say, build wealth because that's the gap between income and expenses. Mm -hmm. So what do we all need to implement? Well, I think we all need to know how much money we're bringing in and how much money is going out. Because I think when people think paycheck to paycheck, they think about, you know, the waiting to the end of the month because I don't have enough money to make it and that kind of thing. But a lot of people are paycheck to paycheck and just don't realize it, right? Like if you're spending next month's money on this month's bills, you're paycheck to paycheck. Like you would be, you know, real messed up if you lost that job because you don't have enough money from this month to cover this month's expenses. And so I think having that, you know, laid out where you know exactly how much money is coming in each month and exactly how much money is going out. That's my number one. I just need you to say that one more time. If you are spending next month's money. Yes. Spending next month's money on this month's expenses, then you're living paycheck to paycheck. No matter how much money you make. No matter how much money you make. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what's happening with you know, people who are in the six-figure range and the 78% of people who are living paycheck to paycheck, it's not the way that we typically conceptualize it. It's just that people don't realize how much money is coming in and how much money is going out. And you're still getting that paycheck every two weeks, right? So that Mm -hmm. money is still coming. But if something were to happen and that paycheck stops, then you're going to be stuck. Wow. Especially when you realize that you've been undersaving. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Because with that level of income, if you've, you know, kept pretty moderate expenses, you should be able to save um, a decent amount of money. You don't realize until. Right. Because you've been floating so many expenses and because mm-hmm. you could pay them with ease. It seemed like everything was good. No, exactly. Exactly. And I think, too, for a lot of us, especially in our community. Right. Once we get to a certain level, we've reached you know this promotion level or we got in this type of job or this salary, we made it and we feel like we have to show that we've made it. And so a lot of us are spending so much money trying to look like we're wealthy instead of actually using that money to build wealth. Girl, talk about it. (laughs) That was one of the reasons for us. I did this episode last year or actually 2018, it was called The Blessing of Downsizing. Mm -hmm. And that episode, I heard from so many people who said, thank you. You gave us permission to understand that there is a blessing in downsizing. Like look at the bigger picture, not what you think other people think. Because mm-hmm. most of us are making decisions to impress people that have a negative net worth. Why yes. do I care? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Why do I care what you think? I have a bigger long-term goal. And for us, it was to leave California with as much cash stacked so we could put it down on our house with a goal of paying that house off in less than five years. Mm-hmm. I want a 30-year I mortgage. I love it. Uh-uh. You know, I love it. You know, you speak in my language. (laughs) And even when people say, but what about the write-offs? I'm like, girl, I will find other write-offs. There are so many other things that I can use as a write-off. What I would like is peace of mind. Don't get me started on this write-off. Don't get me started on the write-off because the write-off for your mortgage is a deduction, right? So you are decreasing the amount of income that is taxed, but it's not a one-to-one thing. So basically you're paying the bank because you want to avoid paying the government. Either way you paying. Exactly. 
Exactly. And all I want is peace. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. um, There's this other idea that I really liked that I've I've heard you talk about, which is calculating your financial independence number. So let's say we sit down, we realize, okay, you know, this is where we are. Here's where our net worth is. Maybe there's some sacrifices we may need to make, or Mm -hmm. there's some, there's some decisions that need to be made for sure. We're implementing the budget, but what's the importance of having a financial independence number? I think the financial independence number gives you a goal to work toward, right? So if you know how much you need such that your investments would cover your expenses, then you've got a plan or you can put a plan in place to get there, right? So the typical way that people calculate the financial independence number is you take 25 times your annual expenses. And once you have that amount saved, then theoretically you can draw down on your investments and not run out of money in your lifetime. So it's a really interesting concept. And there are you know, criticisms of it because it's based on a study that was looking at more traditional retirement timelines. So can you really extrapolate that to longer time periods and that kind of thing? But even so, if you are putting enough money away that you are building to that level, right? You're building towards this 25 times and you end up having, let's say something happens at work and you've got you know, three years worth of expenses because you've been putting money away trying to reach this financial independence number. Like even though you haven't quite reached financial independence, just being on that path gives you options because you've got, you know, the cash stack, you've got this goal and you are being intentional with your money and not just letting it run through your fingers like most of us do. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where I would rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Mm-hmm. Like exactly. This is why I used to tell people, I didn't really subscribe to the idea of emergency funds, even though I understand fully the importance of saving, obviously. Mm-hmm. However, I would find with my clients that they were not inclined to save for emergencies. Like no matter what we talked about, oh, you may need a new battery for your car, or you might get a flat tire, or you may need an engine, or you may need this. They weren't inclined to actually buckle down and stick to the savings plan month after month. But mm-hmm. when we shifted that idea to say opportunity fund, and we started really focusing in and honing in on visuals of what they wanted, yes. then they were so much more likely to save. But when accidents happen, guess what? The they had the right money, mm-hmm. right? So now you have that money there, and what could have been a complete crisis becomes a mere inconvenience because you have the money, right? So for me, it's like, whatever you need to do, I don't care what you need to call it. Once you find the number that you're trying to hit, whatever, you know, stimulus you need to give yourself in order to actually stick to the plan, you have to figure out what works for you and do that. Set the number. And then as Dave Ramsey would say, with gazelle-like intensity, go after that number. So Ro, you said that you had a blog initially, but you have broken into the podcasting game recently. So I want to talk really quickly about what brought you to Purpose to Platform. Well, I had that blog that we talked about and I would be sharing 
family's journey out of debt and toward financial independence. And I was also sharing the things that I was learning because I thought that it could help other people. Like I had so many conversations with uh, fellow lawyers, law school classmates, you know, colleagues at my firm, colleagues at other firms who felt stuck, you know, like we're making all this money, but you know, like us, they had a lot of debt, they had all kinds of expenses. And so for some of them, they wanted to make changes like, you know, take a different job or, you know, do a reduced hour schedule or something, something like that and felt that they couldn't. And so I'm sharing on my blog, all of these different tips, because I thought that it would help people. And the feedback that I was getting was from other content creators, like other bloggers, other people like, yeah, girl, you're right, you gotta save. (laughs) And I'm like, well, I know you know. (laughs) So I wasn't reaching the people that I wanted to reach. And I just kept feeling this tug to do something to help people with their finances. And as I said, it has evolved to more helping people realize that they can have control of their time Uh, They don't have to do the things that everyone else wants them to do, et cetera. So shifting to podcasting was helpful for me, one, because I like to talk, in case you hadn't noticed, but then being in P2P and really refining that message, I was able to reach the people that I wanted to reach. And I've gotten so many messages and so much feedback from people who have said that things that I'm sharing on my podcast are helping them. And I'm like, yes, that's all I want. Yeah. And <laughs> so, so you did the blog really- for a couple years. Yes. And you've been doing the podcast for about a month, a little over a month. And you're already seeing the feedback. Yes. yes. Was there so- was there anything at all that maybe was a hesitation for you with joining a group program? Like, is that the type of learner you would say you typically are? Or are you like a lone ranger? What was the attraction to purpose to platform, you know, in general? Well, so the attraction was really you, if I'm honest. I am... Well, thank you. (laughs) Yes, OG listener, OG purpose chaser. Like I heard you back in... It was like October 2017 or something like that. Like I think. Oh when, wow! You were on Bro, I didn't know that. Finance. Yeah, yeah. You were on a personal finance podcast that I listened to, and I'm like, who is this black woman out here? Like, okay, let me check her out. And when I came to your podcast, I think you had like the pillars and maybe one or two other episodes. So like, oh wow! Like, <laughs> started from the bottom. Yes. <laughs> But I have been listening to you for so long. And so when you announced this program, I was like, oh, I'm definitely doing this. Like, this is exactly what I need to do. And um, as I said, I knew that I had this call to do something to help lawyers, but I didn't know how to do it. And so everything that uh, Purpose to Platform was about seemed like it was right on point with what I needed. And it absolutely was. Like, I am so happy that I did the program and I got so much more from it than I thought I would. Um, But the the hesitation that I had in the beginning wasn't so much about the program itself, but it was personal things because I had my call to learn about the program just as the pandemic was starting, you know, and as my husband is a doctor. So we we had no idea how things were going to work out. And you know, with him being out of the house because he can't work remotely, right? Like he can't see patients from our home. Um, So I knew that I would be here 
with our boys and then also trying to do work. But I believe in this mission, this, you know, trying to help people so much. And, you know, I prayed on it. We talked about it and decided to go ahead and do it. And I decided that I wasn't going to have, uh, I wasn't going to bring a human understanding to the situations. Like, God is telling me to do this. I feel God telling me to do this. And so I'm not going to say no, just because I don't understand how it's going to work out. Wow. And you have been one of the most encouraging people in that community. Like everybody loves Ro. I talked to (laughs) Alexia today and she said, Ro had to snatch me up and get me together. I still have my sulfur eight (laughs) in a drawer in the bathroom. Like in the midst of being a mom, we've seen your boys on many a Friday calls, (laughs) but in the midst of being a mom and a wife and an attorney, and a budding entrepreneur, launching a podcast, all those things. I think one of the things that I really just admired about you is how willing you were to support and help out so many other women, which is just what I love about P2P in general. Agreed. Agreed. I have never been in a community like that one. And I am just honored to be a part of it because to be among so many women who are ambitious and going after these things that you know they all feel called to do and who are you know, helping others as they do it. It's like reaching back because when I, I was in it, there were some people who had started a little bit before me and you know they were a little further along and they're like, oh yes, come on, sis, this is how I did X. This is how you, know, you start a podcast because I've been podcasting for this long just to have that support and community was, it was amazing. Yeah. I think for many of us too, who come from backgrounds of being make it happen type of women. So there's a lot that we learn how to do on our own. Like put your head down, you focus, you grind, you make it happen. And then to come into a space where people are like, I'll help you. I'll show up. I'll be on your webinar. I'll subscribe. I'll review. I'll listen. You know, it's like for some, I think it's a little overwhelming, but once you learn to just embrace the fact that people do want to support you and that everyone in the space is very much doing something all different, but all very transformational in nature and all just really dope work. Like everybody's stuff is like, wow, that's so cool. (laughs) Yes, But it's all different. And yet we could all come together and support each other. I am so excited. I used to say all the time I would get frustrated because I would never get women in personal finance to hire me as a coach. And I'm like, why? Like, have you seen this? Do you see what I did? (laughs) Like, I just couldn't understand. I'm like, I'm coaching everything or, you know, every industry under the sun and not necessarily personal finance. So, you know, when a, when a brown girl rocking with personal finance comes in the space, I'm not going to lie, holds a little special place in my heart. So I am so excited for you. You have already been crushing it with the podcast. I know it's only up and onward from here. Thank Um, you. Any last thoughts for anyone who finds themselves where you and your husband found yourself the day that you first finally took a look at where the numbers were. If someone is listening to this podcast episode and they're like, you know what, forget it. Let me go on ahead and pull everything out and sit down and just figure out where I am. 
any words of encouragement you want to leave them with as they get ready to embark on the journey that you've been on? Yes. Well, I will say you're not alone. There are so many people who are also trying to get their finances in order and are unsure of what to do, but all you can do is put one foot in front of the other. You know, like when we were back like deep, deep into it, it's like, oh, a little bit, you know, come off here, a little bit has come off there, but it it felt like we were chipping away like these little chips and we were never going to get there. And now here we are, you know, three and a half, almost four years later, and we have broken positive net worth. Now we've still got multi six figures left to pay off. But to have come and be, you know, halfway finished, it just feels like, okay, we can definitely do this. Like, it feels like we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other thing that I would say is as you're putting one foot in front of the other, make sure that you are tracking your progress because like when you're in it, deep in it, it feels like you're not really making progress. But if you've got some sort of chart or something where you you know, mark off, you know, you color for every however many thousand you've paid off. Or for us, we would uh, color because we had, I had 14 different loans by myself. (laughs) So as we paid a loan off, we would color that loan in on the chart. And so to see the color start to take over the chart, it's motivating and helps you to keep going. Yes. I used to do that too. I used to draw little thermometers, like yeah. a big yellow, <laughs> big yellow sticky notes and like color in up until I hit the savings goal or whatever mm-hmm. those things are. Let me tell you, it may sound cheesy, but it works. It, it really, really works. You have to play mental games with yourself to yes. keep yourself invested. Before I let you go, Ro, let me ask you a a few quick redefining wealth rapid wisdom questions. The first one is, how do you define success? Uh, Success is being the best version of myself that I can be and living the best life that I can. Amen. How do you define wealth in three words or less? Control of time. I like that. That's good. Okay. What's one book that has redefined how you see wealth? The Millionaire Next Door. And can I say a second one? Mm-hmm. Uh, your Money or Your Life. Those two books, I think, really opened my eyes. The Millionaire, Millionaire Next Door, because it was us, right? These high earners who were not building wealth. And it it really showed that the people who truly are wealthy typically aren't the ones that look the part, right? They don't look Mm -hmm. like the stereotypical wealthy people. And then your money or your life, because it helps to conceptualize this idea of money as uh, life energy, as an equivalent for time, because so many of us are trading time for dollars. And so when you view your money as an extension of your life, it really changes the way that you see your purchases. If it takes you six hours to make, I don't know, X amount of money, you're going to reconsider making a a purchase that you don't really care about. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I've articulated that correctly, but let's say, you know, if a if a shirt is fifty dollars and it takes you, you know, six hours to make that much. Do you want to work all day for a shirt? Yeah. (laughs) Jason Batug, my good friend, Jason Batug says that and you only live once. And he uses the same example. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, if 
a TV is a thousand dollars and you make $50 an hour. Yes. Do you want to work? Like you want to work half the week or all week in order to earn that. At least it gives you a baseline Mm -hmm. to, you know, run your purchases against, you know, it's just like, yes, yes, I do. You might decide yes. Right. But it's even (laughs) now that Reagan is 13, when I take her someplace, when she has to use her own money, she's like, oh, mom, Mm -hmm. that hit hit different. (laughs) It took, it took me all year to save a hundred dollars. Like, I don't know if I could just throw it out there like that. I'm like, mm-hmm. right, exactly. So you can now think you about see. that. <laughs> now you see. So the last one is you're going to fill in the blank. My name is, and for me, the truth about wealth is. My name is Ro Thomas. And to me, the truth about wealth is it gives you options and allows you to take control of your life. Yes, it does. Thank you so much, Ro. I thank appreciate you, you being here. OG listener. You having me. Yes, thank <laughs> you. It's, it's such an honor to be here. Thank you again for having me. Okay, I hope that you got a lot of great nuggets from Ro. This is all about, listen, facing the numbers. So what I love about Ro's story is that it wasn't until she and her husband stopped dodging it, stopped compartmentalizing, stopped avoiding what they thought may have been good debt, that they got to the place that they could really face the numbers and then create a plan. And so their ability to work that plan, to finally get to a positive net worth, amen, right, with some dedication and discipline is really, really encouraging. And if you are that person who finds yourself with high five figures, six figures, multiple six figures worth of student loan debt. I wanted you to have an example that you could definitely get a plan together to pay off the debt. But what I love is that it's really unlocked a whole new sense of purpose in Row, And to watch her come into Purpose to Platform and just do all that she's done. I'm just incredibly, incredibly proud. But I want you to know that debt doesn't have to stop you from your purpose. Right. As a matter of fact, for some people, uh, depending on what the debt was from and, and how it uh, how it all comes together, it might be a big part of your story, a big part of the bigger purpose for your life. And so, listen, check out Rose podcast. If you know an attorney, if you've heard of an attorney, you're related to an attorney. I guarantee you that many of them will resonate with this message. There's not many safe spaces where attorneys, folks like attorneys, doctors like her husband, people, again, who may have these celebrated positions, but they also took out considerable amounts of debt to get to it, where they can have a safe space to talk about what concerns them, what matters to them. And let's say you're not that person at all. There's no way you still can't take the nuggets from Rose's story about getting intentional, writing it all down, you know, dealing with your creditors, all those things to face your numbers and finish this year strong. At least have a better idea of the plan that you need to put in place so you can walk into 2021 with a different level of confidence, all right? So thank you again to Ro. Again, so incredibly proud. Let's talk about it over in the free Redefining Wealth Facebook community. Come on over, you can share your journey, your journey to getting out of debt, any nuggets you plan on incorporating from Rose Story. Again, it's the free Redefining Wealth community on Facebook. And remember to rate, review, 
subscribe, share, do all the things that help us keep growing this podcast. I appreciate you so very much. If you consider yourself to be a purpose chaser or an OG listener, and I appreciate you if you're a first time listener and hope that you'll stay with us. All right. So until next time, guys, I want you to go live your life's purpose, find fulfillment and earn more without ever chasing money. Talk to you later.